All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. It keeps going. The podcast continues. It keeps going. How is, uh, how's everything with you guys? How was the weekend? Everything all right? The comedy's been okay. I'm okay. I'm relatively healthy. I get up. I do the yogas. I do the meditating. I talk to the cats. But there's some heavy-heartedness going on. I had a dream about Lynn. It was a bizarre one. It was nice to see her, though. Hadn't seen her in a while. But it was this giant space. It was like a white... It was almost like, like a dome... Like a white dome, like the size of many football fields. It was an expansive space that was, it felt outdoors, but it was indoor. There was a, it was grass. It was like a huge field. And I, I walk into this space. It was almost like the Truman Show. And I'm supposed to perform there, but I don't know. I can't tell where anyone's going to sit or where to even stand. It just seems too big. There's no, there's no like center to it. There's no, point of focus and i'm like what do i just stand here where are the people gonna be and it's just like it's just expansive but clearly inside and almost like a field and someone says your guitar's over there and it was way over there like a half a mile away leaned up like on a chair and i walked all the way over there i'm like am i supposed to play i mean that seems like how am i gonna work this room it's huge like it seems like miles wide how do I work that space? And I walk over. I just like walk all the way across to where the guitar is. And there's a little seating area. And Lynn is there. And I hug her. And she tells me that Marlon Wayans will uh, be available for the uh, podcast the closer we get to the Respect movie. And I'm like, why are you telling me that? And I'm like, do you still love me? She goes, yes. Do you love me? I'm like, Yes. And then there was just a moment where we hung out for a second and I woke up. I think uh, Marlon Wayans kind of fucked up that dream for me. Like, wh- how did he wedge his way? Why did that bit of information, because well, I, you know, I, I am going to talk to him before Respect opens, but why did that have to worm its way into uh, hang, to hanging out with Lynn? Do you know what I mean? Dreams are tricky, right? Who knows? James Murphy is on the show today from LCD Sound System. It was a long time. I'll tell you, I got feelings about it. Somehow or another, to be honest with you, to be candid, to be upfront, I missed LCD Sound System. I missed the entire event of it. I missed a lot of bands in the early aughts, mid-aughts, whatever. I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't involved with music. I was doing comedy. I was wandering around doing comedy. And then I was out here trying to get traction doing comedy. I didn't give that much of a fuck about music. You know, I listened to it. I I was, you know, I tried to stay up to speed, but I was not in it like I am now. And I, for some reason, I remember a while back, I did a short, I did some sort of short doc voiceover for DFA records. But I always, you know, my experience with LCD Sound System was like, well, these guys are kind of white people dance music. It's kind of, I can hear all what they are. I can hear what they're drawing from. I hear the talking heads. I hear some Bowie. I hear some Fall. I hear, I guess, like, you know, some, I don't really know the Smiths, but the Cure's in there. Like, I, I understand the sources. 
but I didn't really give it a deep listen. But I could never get a handle on James. You know, I and I and I sort of dismissed it, and I was sort of cranky about it, and I and I projected a lot of stuff onto him that I knew nothing about. And he's been sort of hovering, not hovering, but he's been on the periphery of the show for a while. And I finally just locked into the music and really kind of leaned into it and listened to it. And it's great. It's very easy to listen to. It's There's a lot of great music there, a lot of great production, great songs. But I still don't know who James is, really. So I uh, I was looking forward to, with some apprehension, you know, talking to him. And uh, we did it. We did the conversation. And of course, we have things in common. And I get it. He's... I wish I had the discipline some people have. I wish, not even discipline, I wish I was obsessed in a more focused way that had more follow-through. I wish I was compulsive and obsessed uh, in a nerdy way that would force me to fully immerse myself in nuance of any one thing, as opposed to sort of like go all in, you know, get satisfied, and then get out. Where's the commitment? Um, so James Murphy is here, and he doesn't have to put. He's not plugging anything. It was just time for us to talk. That's all that it, you know. And I I got up to speed as much as I could on LCD. I enjoy LCD sound system. I enjoyed the records, and uh, I like. He's a good friend. This, uh, he's a good friend of my buddy uh, Sam Lipsite. He's a friend of Sharpwings. We have friends in common, and it, it was a nice talk. So this is me talking to James Murphy. You've got those headphones. It doesn't sound like they're a good thing. No, I just like I I, I wish there was a way I could turn up or down how much transparency. Holy shit! I mean, I can't like I'm just doing Garage Band, and I you know, and, and that's over. Oh, that's too much for me. I don't even know what the full extent of what GarageBand does. I just know how to do the voice thing. You just record yourself and that's it. I record myself or if someone's sitting in here, I record them and I ride the levels on my dumb little six channel mixer that I don't understand. But I believe that I've convinced myself, James, that uh, that my lack of intelligence or, or know-how around this stuff gives me integrity. <laughs> well, I mean, you and I are similar age. Yeah, oh, I'm 57. Well, I mean, at one point, hold on a second. I was your age, yeah. At one point, no, at one point, we were very different ages. Yes. Because I'm 51. Yeah. And now we're basically the same age. Right. Because nobody gives a shit about the discrepancy of dudes in their 50s. Yes. Nobody nobody wants to hear that, that, that nobody's like, oh, no, we're totally, I'm... 51 and 57 like that's not a discrepancy that's not a, a distinction anyone cares about well you sort of level off somehow yeah i, I yeah. don't it seems like you were a, mo- a lot more excited and interested about things than i was but do you have children i do i have two kids oh well see that's well that makes you very different than me i'm still uh you know just a fucking idiot with a record player um <laughs> it doesn't stop me from being an idiot with a record player but i am an idiot with a record player who have people that fuck uh, with your record player. <laughs> well, remarkably, I've gotten both of them to not do that too much. Oh, yeah? And my youngest son really, my, my older one is my son, really likes records, and he's always liked records. And it was it took a little time for him to not fuck with the records. Yeah. But, How old is but he? He's six. Oh, okay. But my, my daughter, uh, 
She's only pulled a couple of records off of a shelf. Whereas for him, it was a while of being like, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. So he's really interested and he remains yes. interested. Yes. He's a music person and she it remains to be seen. She can't speak yet. Oh, well, I, you know, I, I think that I have cats and they're actually worse with records. There's more to worry about with cats oh, and records. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I had a cat scratching up the whole, uh, <laughs> destroying the entire, uh, spine. Yeah. They, yeah. They destroy everything. So I guess we have a, a common friend in Sam Lipsight. We do. We do have a very good common friend in Sam Lipsight. Yeah. I love Sam. And, uh, you know, I've ta- I talked to him frequently. We're now, we're currently developing a television show together, actually. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, we're not in active development. We're just trying to sell it, man. I mean, I tried to develop the show with Sam, and it got me nowhere. So. Is that true? Yeah, we did. We worked on a show for a while. What was that um, about? Um, we worked with a, with our friend Jay, Jay Green, Jason Green. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, it was initially called The Worst. Yeah. Um, but then there was a show that came out and got picked up called You're the Worst, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, the best? Um <laughs> It went, uh, it went nowhere. When fast. was that? Oh, years ago. It's uh, I want to say it was like two years ago, but that probably means about six years ago. So somewhere in the interim between the or after you retired. Yeah, I think it started before we started playing again. Was for that? Sure. Yeah, was for t- sure. Was TV writing something? Because I know you have some of it in your past somehow, or at least were like thought of uh, to do it. Was that uh, one of the uh, beginnings of your creative uh, ideas for yourself? No, not at all. Oh. Um, th- this was a this was a, a weird little lark. I was like, "Hey, let's make a show." Yeah. Um, and it was basically my friend Jay's really funny. I think he uh, he needs like a vehicle. Like yeah. uh, that was my, like that was my sort of feeling. It's like I really right. want like a, ve- a vehicle for my friend Jay. Let's help and Jay I, out. I want to, but and I want. Well, I just think I want to see it. So it's helping yeah. me. It's helping him. Um, it's helping the world. And of course. I was like, let's, let's write a show together, you know, together with him. And I was like, and then we decided we, why don't we call Sam? Cause we like Sam. And, uh, and it seemed like, why not, why don't these three guys just hang out once in a while and try yeah. to write a show? A genius. We, it's going to be we great. Made ourselves, we made ourselves laugh. Yeah. Um, and did you actually get into the selling of it? Well, this was the mistake I made. I think uh-huh. I, my first instinct was like, look, let's just make a pilot. Like, I'll just get some money together. Um, we had shot the LCD film, and that was shot by uh, Reed Murano prim- primarily, uh, like who was like a super cinematographer and now is like a big director, and she's like a good friend. And I was like, maybe she'll help us shoot the pilot. Like, we know enough good people. That was that the big can- concert movie, the final concert thing? Yes. In the doc, we, yeah. And I was like, we know enough good people that we can, you know, make get something together that's what i wanted to do and then suddenly we got into like well maybe you know i do have a manager and a manager works with people and i have an agent at William morris <laughs> like maybe we can get somebody to help develop it and yeah. that just was a big mistake because we started talking to somebody and then they were like yeah i can totally help and then they were like oh i don't know maybe we need to we do a table read it just became as opposed to me just being like why don't i make this dumb thing it's going to cost me x amount of money Right. We're not going to go crazy. Like right. we're going to do it in an apartment. The scenes in an apartment, we'll use our friend's apartment. The scenes outside, we'll just steal. Like who cares? Yeah. Um. I, you know, I can borrow a camera or rent a camera. Let's just do it. And then we'll have yeah. a pilot. And if nobody picks it up, at least we have this show we can show our friends. And we're happy. Or we can go down the like self-doubt road where you're 
getting people's opinions before anybody's seen anything and you know yeah, you worse. do a table read and you're like is this does this make any sense and then jay's like why don't we do it without me in it and i'm like what's the point of that yeah um so we kind of just uh lost lost momentum and i and I, I that's happened to me but that's the second time that's happened to me in my life or third time it's happened in my life and that should be three strikes and, and that i should never do with again. with tv writing specifically no with projects like i've only ever been happy when i'm just like i'm gonna do this dumb thing that's a bad idea and then i do it in the 80s i used to record on four track uh, i had a cassette four track um and it's much record- different than where you're sitting now it's much different than where I'm- <laughs> it is and it isn't yeah um i was an autodidact so i kind of like figured this stuff out and just made re- recordings all the time and i really liked them so it was and one of those I, things where you could just sit by yourself and lay the drums down, lay the guitar down. You could yeah. actually probably get eight tracks out of it if you were clever. Well, what I would do, I could get six tracks because I could okay. do four tracks of like drums, bass, guitar, yeah, and something else. And then I'd right. mix them down to two and then I'd get right. two more tracks. So I'd have the instrumental mix and then I'd do vocals or whatever on the other yeah. two tracks. Yeah. And when I was 17, in 1987, I decided I'm going to put a record out. Sure. I'm going to go to a real studio and record yeah and so i saved up all my money and i worked and i rented the studio time and i went and it was a disaster because i had this guy i remember this guy who's i'm sure the nicest guy in the world he was doing his best uh uh and he kept he was talking about the pyramid of sound i'd be like okay i want the bass through this guitar amp it's all trebly and it's got reverb on it he's like you know what let me tell you about the pyramid of sound down here is the bass and the kick drum yeah, and then on top of that, you might have your piano, and I was just like, "This sucks!" Like, I don't want to make a fucking Fleetwood Mac record. Like, I, everything I listen to is all scrappy and weird sounding. Yeah. Um, and instead, I just got bullied in this. Like, I got pushed a around. Fleetwood Mac sort of. record. And <laughs> and no, but it just was neither. It sounded right. like it winds up sounding like a jingle, like because it's neither what I would make, which is. So he couldn't um, honor your vision because you didn't work together and he was just an engineer trying to do his job for a kid that's got an idea. Yeah, I'm like a 17-year-old kid who's only just recorded himself and doesn't know how mics work. And you wanted him to just magically understand why you wanted the bass to sound like a, you know, a, rev- a car rumbling or something. I wouldn't know that that was a thing. Like I had never experienced trying to communicate with people about music. I just, yeah. I, I, it was, for me, it was like I, w- I would just keep doing this until I ha- was happy. But it seems like... Like this was actually the 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 mountain you chose to die on. Well, uh, they're all mountains I choose to die on. <laughs> but I, I mean, just... like that that dynamic right there. For, you know, it seems for you getting the sounds you want out of the equipment with the people you want to do. That was the life. Yeah, yeah. That's basically that's that's basically the whole thing. I don't really, I don't do much else. And but so so that didn't work out. But ultimately, that journey kind of paid off. Yeah, when we made the when the when early days of DFA Records, we had the Rapture. Who's your partner band. in that? Jonathan, is that his name? Jonathan? John Galkin, yeah. Although he started his own label now. Oh, well, Galkin, like, I feel like we were talking about talking many years ago. Like, Galkin was sending me records probably in 2012, 11 or 12, I think. Yeah. Like, he was sending, like, I remember, like, uh, Princehorn Dance Hall, is that? D- Dance Prince- School, yeah. Princehorn Dance I, School. I love that those records yes. but he me was sending too. me a, he was sending me a lot of records and i you know oddly and i'll just give you some back background on on me and you like i, I somehow missed the the event of of 
LCD. You know, I mean, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know where I was. But there's Living a whole, life. No, but there was a whole chunk of life where, you know, I, I've always considered myself somebody who likes music, but I was just disconnected from music that was happening. It was yeah. I think I was obsessed with comedy. I don't I don't know, you know, you know, those years where they got lost or what I was prioritizing. So in a lot of ways, like I just I would look at you and I'd like I'd see you on a boat doing something. I don't were you ever on a boat doing something? Yes, yes, yes. When you narrated the 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 <laughs> the movie, the short film, and oh, I, was right. a, I was on a that's right. I was on a okay. I was on a I was on the boat because yeah. right that they asked me to do the short film. God, yeah, I'm, I'm spacing all of it. I'm like, I don't. What does this guy do? Is he on a boat? He's got a beard. What is he? What is the this guy? And I got to be like, and I would listen to your stuff here and there, but like it wasn't until two days ago where I'm like, I get it. I get the whole thing now. So it's all fresh to me, James. That's what oh, I'm nice. saying. <laughs> nice. And I, I enjoyed it. And we like all the same things. And I don't know why I prejudged everything, but I'm like, what's he doing on a boat? So uh, like, I, I well, well I, I mean, to be fair, you can't be judged. You can't be hard on yourself for that because I, one, I played the fool in that on purpose. Like I totally played the fool, which I've was enjoying like I was just being I wasn't if you were looking at that footage being like what's this guy about I was giving you very little to go on yeah um I was playing the dummy I guess if I would have known the history of you you know I would have got it but like you know I was just sort of being an earnest you know yeah well that's fine uh and (laughs) also I was was the idiot yeah I've come to the conclusion that that at varying ebbs and arcs of my late era career yeah um Big chunks and swaths at the time, I would not have liked me from a For distance. what reasons? Not that, not I would, not if I paid attention, but I think I could have been like, eh, you know, because, because I'm like, too many people saying shit about this guy, I don't buy it. Like, or whatever. Like, we, I've, I have, an, I'm in no danger of being under, like, underappreciated. I feel like, I feel like I've gotten more than my due of appreciation and respect. Yeah. And there have been times when the noise around projects I'm working on have been louder than I would expect. And I could see myself on the outside just being like, I don't want to hear about this guy. Like, like let me ask you, though, like, because I, I mean, b- going back to the same age thing, like I, I spend a lot of time wondering whether or not I'm done. And then on, on, on the other side of that, I spend a lot of time thinking like. Well, would would that be a terrible thing? Uh, you know, why do I care? You know, I'm I'm okay financially. What what is it? What is it that I I uh, what are we working for here? You, you know what right. I mean? Am I just going to repeat myself? It seems like I'm talking about the same things over again. You know, and now I'm playing guitar with some, like I started rehearsing with a with a trio, and I'm like, is this necessary? Does the world <laughs> need another fifty seven year old white dude thinking like I'm going to play guitar now? Like I I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Do you feel? Like you have realized yourself that you exist, that that you are, you know, when people hear something like that's ah, Murphy or, you know, like they, do you think that you are exactly who you're supposed to be? I don't, I mean, I don't think that's possible. Uh, like, I mean, I, I don't think you get, I don't think, I mean, I know what I'm annoyed with, with myself and with my work. Um, like what? I, there's not enough of it. Not enough work. I, yeah, I'm not prolific. I'm not prolific enough. That's a, like that was I, that makes my job easier. It's like there's only four records, you know. Right, but I, <laughs> but that's humiliating. Like the Beatles knocked you, that out in like two and a half years. Like yeah, it's but, like but that, you can't compare yourself to the Beatles. You tried. No, you I'm not. I'm just. But I'm just saying that. Like I get in it. general, like, and I think part of that is the world, and everything is precious, and it all has to be perfect, and and uh, 
everything has to then be like when I make a record when a, when a band made a record like a long time ago they just made a record and they, they would maybe stop playing a couple of shows go to the studio for a day and a half and then it's an album um, of the songs they've already been playing and no one's heard them unless they went and saw them yeah. um, whereas now it's like oh a record okay well I'm going to make a record I'm going to make it alone in a studio and I'm going to make it for like six months because everything's got to be fucking you know rumors and and then when you're done with it then they turn it in like oh that's great okay well we got to do you have art I was like oh I got to make the art okay so there's the art to make and then okay well there's that's great the record's done we need some content I'm like well isn't that the fucking content and then you're like no we need a video and some content so we're going to do some and then and then you every record's a world tour I mean, yeah. world tours were called world tours. They were like a world tour, like Elton John world tour, because only people like Led Zeppelin or Elton John did them, and they did them once. Like there'd be like the 1976 Yellow Brick Road tour, <laughs> yeah, and you'd have jackets, and they were like he went everywhere. He was in Japan. Like I DJ in Japan just because yeah. somebody thinks that maybe it's an idea. Yeah, like the 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 kind of non making a record c- commitments are just a lot bigger, and so that naturally slows down like the kind of like making of music process like the ancillary shit right so yeah. you as a personality but that what the the type of record making you're talking about is is of a certain level i mean theoretically you know you could do a record without all of that and maybe do more records but then yes. the question is like would anyone give a shit you know well i don't know i mean like the way i make records also happens to be a slow burn uh, because I'm simultaneously like living in the modern world where like you know I can do whatever I want because I there's limitless amounts of tracks in the digital world and all this other stuff, but I also live in the kind of I'm old enough that I kind of am stuck in this kind of luddite world where I have to use a console and I do use real equipment and it's all very clumsy and cumbersome at the but same. But you time. like so that, I'm, don't you? I mean, is that yeah, a choice? I, lo- I love it. I love it. But I mean, like, uh, there's things that I th- that I think ran smoother when you couldn't do that because you'd have to get a bunch of really good musicians and you'd have to figure out the parts then you'd go play it a few times and you'd be like the third one's the one i was talking about that to the guy at the stereo store it's funny because like today you know before i like this morning my big dilemma was like hey should i go pick up my marantz 2275 that's being rebuilt before i talk to james or should i wait and then I'm going to have to go, like, my life is revolving around old equipment and stuff. But, I, like, yesterday I listened to the Bo Brummel's, you know, Bradley Barn record, you know. And then, like, I, but I talked to the stereo guy because I just got these ridiculously expensive speakers. And we were talk- I was talking to him about how old records sound great on these ridiculously uh, expensive speakers. And he's like, yeah, that's because, you know, they didn't have to fuck with technology. They didn't have to, they just laid it down. And that was that. Yes. Yes. And it's, it sounds perfect. They have fewer phase concerns, yes. Right. And But like what you're saying about prolific and also the distraction of being asked to DJ in Japan, I mean, you know, I, I, mean, I get what you're saying, but did you, do you feel, it seems to me that less is more because you would have had a bigger opportunity to hack yourself. And it doesn't seem you would, you would probably would have driven yourself crazy if you were expected to churn out the same record over and over again. Yeah, I mean, if I worked better with other people, it might be easier because I'd be I'd I'd share sort of I, I I would you know you can bounce off people and get out of your head, but I'm just not good at that. So, but just, so but I, but you're but you're essentially a uh, I guess 
I, on some level, you're. It seems that from what I can feel of the music, you know, there's a lot of the stuff that I like involved in your brain. You know, like Can, uh, Talking yeah. Heads, Eno, Bowie. Uh, you know, they, I, some people I don't know, but I, I, they, I kind of feel them at the edge of things. And I and I and I and I can feel those references, but it seems like you're just infusing this into a, a type of uh, of uh, of dance music almost, right? In Sometimes, a way, yeah. Sometimes yeah. straight up dance music, yeah. Right. So, and it, but it seems like a good part of your job is that of a band leader. Yeah. Yeah. Well, live. I'm. Live. Yeah. The, I mean, live. The L, like LCD for I think is kind of two things. It's a it's a records that I make mostly make with and without my friends and sometimes those friends are the members of the live of the band lcd sound system sometimes they're just other friends and like right we've always been a group of i'm very i've been incredibly lucky late in life um i don't mean late in life like i'm 70 but i mean like i didn't have a lot of friends in my teenage years or my 20s why i i'm i'm a I'm a particular flavor, man. Like I'm not that easy to get along with in some ways. Well, what type of like what was what was your specific assholeness? I wasn't assholey. I just wasn't that easy to be around. I wasn't cool. I wasn't laid back. I'm not laid back. I'm pretty uptight. And you weren't cool. I'm not. I was not cool. Like I, I was. I would bring the cool level of a room down. <laughs> Like so, I was always the fart in the fucking in the at the party. You know what wait, I mean? Like, well, is this for going back to high school? What, you grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. No, I'm just yes. Okay, I found the cassettes uh, of all my music that I've made. I, I lost them for a long time, and I found finally found these series of boxes of cassettes from the starting in 1981 to 1991. It's like ten years of just me making music on four track and stuff in high school. Yeah, and before like junior high school, high school. Yeah, and what um, you were? What, did you play instruments? I played everything. Yeah, I played drums and guitar and bass and keyboards and. You were good at stuff. those things. I was I was a good guitar player. I was a much better guitar player then than I am now. Yeah, but drums a lot. Of t- I, a lot of times drum machine. Yeah. Um. So I was good at that. Yeah. You know, press the yeah. buttons. <laughs> sounds would come out of. Um. So you're you're sitting at home in New Jersey. Yeah. Do you have uh, like? Would you have a brothers and sisters? I do, but they're they're a lot older. I'm a Catholic surprise. I'm the fourth and last of a of an Irish family. Yeah. Oh wow! So, so like, you're pa- older parents. My, my father was born in 1931. My grandfather in 1898. So yeah. Wow. So like, <laughs> you had a lot of like how many old? Well, you got older brothers and sisters. Not nothing crazy. Uh, pretty small. I mean, four, there were four of us. So my older sister and brother are 10 and 11 years older than me. But that means there was a lot of stuff at the house left over, like music, oh, totally. records. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they, I grew up. I grew up listening to records and yeah. like, my brothers, brothers and sisters' records. Right. Like spent a lot of time doing that. A lot of posters in their room, kind of deal. In my room? No, in their in, room. Your brothers? No, more in my room. Oh. I was the poster kid. Okay. I was the kid with the, my brother had a couple of posters. He was more into like prog rock and stuff. Oh, so that plays in, huh? Like yes, and Utopia and Pink Floyd. I, I, can you get into Utopia? I have I struggle with Utopia. Me too. I and and yes, you know it was weird because I like when I listen to you know losing my edge or any of the stuff that you're talking. Like I'm so fucking late to this party. Like I just started re you know re, you know getting into vinyl you know within the last decade, right? And right. I grew up with yes, you know I'm I'm seven years older than you and yes was like outside of Roundabout and one other song I was like what an annoying bunch of dudes you know and but. 
Like I put on one of their records. I put on Fragile on the Good System. Like I bought it. I didn't own it's it. It's ridiculous. Right. It's it is ridiculous. ridiculous. But you know what's so ridiculous good. about it is like they're just a band. You can hear yeah. the guys playing yes. on that. Yes. Yes. At the time, it sounded alien because they were so like exactly. And you hear it and, now, and it sounds like rough. It sounds like the blues, right? <laughs> exactly. And then you're sort of like, oh my god, these guys were locked in. Yeah. You know, the bass player. I mean, that I love. I have an absolute undying love for Yes. Like Chris Squire, the bass player, his bass sound is almost identical to the bass sound in the Stranglers. It's just this r- screaming, distorted yeah. bass sound, and he controlled it ridiculously it's a they're a tough band um, yeah I, I had no idea i thought they were a bunch yeah. of pussies and i was like no this is real yeah and they're and they're, they're, they're i went on a huge yes well i sort of like i hit the revelation that you can find anything on youtube one time yeah and i was like wait a second i can just find out everything about yes that's weird now yeah. as an adult yeah and i went on this huge youtube youtube binge of like every interview with everybody and all the live footage and just learned all these very strange things about them that I found really interesting. Like, like there's a lot of class stuff in that band where like Chris Squire and like Bill Bruford are like upper class kids and like John Anderson's like more of a working class guy. Right. And like like John Anderson is like the kind of the singer, he's like a little bit of the one who's like, you know, elves and fairies and, and like but he's also the one that's like keeping the shit together like he's right, right. like yeah 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 we're, no we're do we're yes this is what we're doing like and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, like it, it, i feel like he was like ride or die in a way like that that some of the other guys were less so but do you do crimson i like them i like there are things about king crimson that i like the most but i have funny feelings about um i don't like this the funny stick yeah. I don't like the, I, that drives me nuts just the, the idea of it you know the it's not sound the, it's of it the idea like the bass was fine bass it does sound a little a, weird stiff I bass guess. is a great instrument let's yeah. just let's let's wait till we beat yeah, but there it was something annoying on. about that what's his name Levin the guy with the, his, his head yes. shaved he's got yes. the dumb bass you know yes. it, it, images counts for a lot you know yeah and it's corny <laughs> as shit yeah and but I have a th- I have feelings about Fripp who's like a real a, a partial hero to me i i you know i got turned on to him when i was like i have a weird sort of i have sort of a blues-based brain but like when i was in high school i i worked at a bagel place next to this record store and, and one of the guys there was one of the you know sort of an art rock guy and he turned me on to you know league of gentlemen and fripping eno when i was in high school and uh and like i couldn't quite wrap my brain around it but then you, you know i grew like when Scary Monsters came out, I was like, holy shit, what is this, you know? And I guess Heroes too. But one time, like, he was kind of a dick to me on an airplane and that ruined it for a few years. But I'm, I'm okay with him now. It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> no, I, I just feel like he's... I feel like the ways in which I feel like musical insecurities and confidences play out in each musician, it, it determines whether I'm going to like them or not. And yeah. I think the way they play out in Fripp, I do not like the way that he, I think he's one of the most natural, gifted, like he's really skilled, obviously. He's practiced a lot. He's a very right. good guitar player. But I think he's one of the most gifted, natural guitar players. I feel like he's a very gifted, natural musician. I feel like his sense of where things go is beautiful. But I think this, something in him seems to not trust that. So when he writes music, when he's composing, when yeah. he's like, hey, here's the King Crimson song. It's like, here's this great part. And now it's fucking annoying for eight bars. Right. And I'm like, he just has to ruin it. Whereas when you're like, hey, 
when Eno and and Bowie are like, "Come on over and play some guitar." He's incredible. Like, right? He just right, right just the let stuff it go. That, yeah, the stuff that comes out of him naturally is amazing. He's like as if there was somebody who's a great actor who could just do it, but then they're going to go do some weird method thing and ruin it. Yeah, it's like that scene in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid where, you know, they they got to shoot the the wood chip to prove that they can shoot and he just stands still and he's shooting at it and he misses it and uh and struther martin's like that's terrible and he's like well can i move <laughs> then he like he jumps into a his little stance and boom boom boom, boom. and of course you know it, the natural thing when he was right, trying right. to do it it was terrible but when he was just allowed to be himself he could do it yes i just think there's sometimes that's but I think we don't necessarily value what we're good at because it feels automatic. Well, yeah, because, you know, it can't be enough, obviously, if yeah. you're of a certain type. But have you watched those uh, those videos of him and his wife? I think you really see him. No. They're doing all these YouTube videos where they're covering songs. She comes out in like a costume and they're doing like Nirvana and Sabbath and she's singing and he's just standing there with a Les Paul playing these fucking songs. No, I haven't seen any of that. Oh, you got to go watch that because, you know, it's it's just he's not it's happening in the moment. He's not making he's got no self-consciousness at all. And you right. can really see how he's sort of it's like, you know, like Jimmy Page. There's a clunkiness to it that you would never expect. Yeah. Right. yeah. I would just like I mean, there'd be very few guitar players I'd rather have. Come. I'd rather be like, just come play once. Have you done that with him? No, I've never, I don't do that with anybody. Well, okay, so let's get back to that. Well, th- before we get back to that, it's like, again, like when I was in New York and I was just sitting around, I had one can cassette because Rollins had said he liked can. And I, you know, I couldn't fucking lock in and now I can't get enough of that. And and when I listen yeah. to some of the, uh, you know, the LCD stuff, just the, the length and the the process of, of how it builds, it's like, it's a lot like can. You must have listened to a lot of that guys. A those lot guys. of can that's like one of my favorite all-time favorite bands yeah yeah sure. and and like they're i mean i think as a model sort of similar to you know they don't they don't always all of a sudden make a record when you're like well, you're not like what the fuck is this but there is a, an evolution and a difference in how they approach a lot of different stuff and it seems like as a model that's probably closer to what you do than most things huh well yeah except for a couple of key things which are you know can or people who were like conservatory, hyper-trained conservatory musicians. Like, yeah, Erman Schmidt, the keyboard player, won the like this like young conductor award or something. It was like in, went to went to New York with this having won this European young conductor award. The, all these guys like taught at like conservatories and you know were like hi- hyper-educated classical and jazz musicians. Jackie Leibzi was like the premier European free jazz drummer. So they were all like these super high level people. And then, you know, they heard the Velvet Underground and shit and were just like, let's just go be repetitive. (laughs) But then, but played together eight hours a day. Like there's no band that replicates the weirdness of Can. I mean, I would, I would almost argue, weirdly, I would say like the Ramones or in a weird way, just Can with the onset of the wrong speed. Like uh, there's something similar about like the purity of their idea that I think is really something. But like, I don't think there's anything like I'm not like Can at, at all. I love them, and I want to say like they've influenced me not just through them, but through the bands that they influenced, like Public Image Limited and The Fall. Like I got my Can first through the bands that they influenced, 
and then I found the source. But it seems like they were not afraid to you know mix up form, you know, no. within records, you know, no. and 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 to the point. Well, you know, it was clear that they weren't gunning for hits, so they were able to do what they wanted to do. But they had hits. This is the weird thing as a as a as a non German. Yeah, like we think of Can as like this like. Oh, have you heard about Can? It's like suicide right. or something. Yeah. Like you know, it's like underground, underground. Like right. oh, well, right. you, you know, the modern lovers before everyone knew what they were. Yeah, Can had hits in Germany. They had like big hits. They were on TV and shit. Like they yeah. had like they charted. They wow. were like in. There was a moment where they're playing the song "I Want More" on like a sitcom. Like where they're the band at the beach party playing a song. It's 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 this it's this. There's nothing quite like it. It's the strangest thing. So how did you, like, you know, from high school, because I know you were in a, like, you had a band before LCD. I had a bunch of bands. But, like, what, how did you arrive at, like, how did you decide, like, this sucks and I'm going to do this other thing? I mean, with each band. I mean, you were kind of gunning for, like, pretty straightforward alt-rock for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I wanted friends. Uh, I mean... Like early on, I wanted to make music. You yeah. know, I just wanted to make music. I just wanted to get out of my town, make music. Maybe I'll meet other people um, making music that would be like me. Because I had bands as a kid. That's what right. I was saying in the beginning. Like I found these cassettes. And I found this cassette from like 82, yeah. like 12, playing with my two friends, Paul and Dale. And we were like playing the song we wrote. And you can hear them all laughing and having fun. And then you can hear them being like, oh, that was cool. And you can hear me pretending to be calm pretending to be like yeah that was fun you guys let's do it again but let's all come in together like like i am like it, i'm yeah. not fun like they were like oh this is great we're in a band too we're, maybe i'm gonna be on the track team and maybe yeah. we'll go to a party right. And i'm like yeah i'm gonna be in this band we're gonna be in this band we're gonna be yeah. a really good band let's work on the band yeah. we have band meeting and like i was just ruining it for everybody yeah. like so when i got to new york i moved to new york when i was 19 in 89 i was like oh amazing i'm in new york i'm gonna meet all these people and the same shit uh like i just was no fun and i wasn't get. i wasn't easy i just i'm not easy i'm not easy i'm not like at ease in a social situation but 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 knowing that is there is there some corrective in your brain do you do you uh do you act as if now do you want to change that it seems like i know you keep saying that but you just no. accept it I've changed. I mean, I, I'm still naturally the I'm still the person that I was, um, but a lot of things have changed in my life. That a lot of experiences I've had different experiences that have changed me. Um, even though the the raw materials are the same, I, I've had some experiences that that changed me. You can identify them. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one was just like I went to I went to therapy a lot, and I gave up. Um, I didn't mean give up. I gave up control. I was a very controlled person. I still am. But I was like, I'm going to, I've tried to figure out everything on my own. And, um, what was it? Why did, where did that come from? Was there chaos in the house growing up? I mean, no, I had a very, I had a very like, in in a certain way, I had an incredibly stable family. Like, I remember thinking one time that, if I threw this, I remember looking in my living room and being like, if I threw this chair through the window of my living room out into the front lawn, yeah, my father would simply make me pay for the repairs to the chair and the glass. Like I would just, he would just get it fixed tomorrow. Right. And then there'd be a bill 
and I would pay it off with some interest if it took me a while. And then there'd be like, that's, that's the thing. That was the, the punishment was I would just take responsibility for it. I, I would never, they would never hit me. He would yeah. never like throw me out of the house or it was a very, like, it wasn't a very hot blooded environment. Well, they'd know? been through four kids by the time you came. You know, yeah. So. I mean, like he, he forgot my name most of the time, yeah. but, <laughs> but in the midst of that, um, when I was 10, my mother was given five weeks to live with lung cancer, but she survived, but like she was, the treatment wound up paralyzing her. She was in a hospital for like a year and a half, like a rehab hospital, like in the middle of this time, everything turned upside down. Yeah. And I never, because you only know your life, I never felt traumatized. I never felt like this would have any effect on me. Yeah. I was always like, no, I'm fine. Like my mom's still like totally bossing me around and like, she's just in a wheelchair now. You know, like I took it as nothing happened. Yeah. And, as, and even in therapy, I never really like thought that much happened. And it's only like, as I've gotten much older and I'm a parent, I'm like, oh man, like I can trace so much shit back to like everything being one way and then wow. everything being being turned around and right. flipped upside down and yeah. then uh, uh, you know it, it, and i think it 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 a couple of things like that a couple of things like that in my childhood had some some much bigger impacts i also like i was fearless as a kid like i would da- any dare you gave me i would i would do anything dangerous anything you dangerous but you weren't the kid that ate the weird things were you you know, like, I might. I'm not so much the gross out kid, but I was the yeah. kid who was like, they'd be like, if you challenged me, you, like you called me a wimp or you call me yeah. like I'm scared, or whatever. I'll fight. I would fight anybody. Oh yeah. I would jump. I would jump my bike over anything. I would yeah. take on any kind of physical challenge. Yeah. And I got, and, and uh, one day I was talking to my wife. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm you know, our son's kind of cautious. And I was like, I'm really cautious. He probably got that from me. I'm super cautious. <laughs> and she's like. What are you talking about? You told me these stories about this, 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 and then you broke your arm, and then you knocked, you split your face open, and all this other stuff. And I was like, "Oh yeah," and I was like, "I was like, well, I, I guess I used to not be scared." And she's like, "Clearly, those things made you cautious. Like, yeah. clearly, you got gravely injured repeatedly as a right. child. Like, I, I broke my arm in like sixteen places in a bike thing, got oh my, my cast God. off, and that day hit my face on a diving board and split it open, my mouth open, had stitches in my face." Like I uh, jumped off, then got that fixed, then jumped off a chimney and broke, like destroyed all the tendons of my ankle in a bush. All before I'm like 12. And, um, <laughs> and then really after that, push the I edge, became, man. I became very cautious and didn't, yeah. but I also was so unself-aware that I never until this year, did I ever see, realize that like, oh, there was a moment when I was fearless and there's now I'm cautious in the middle with a whole bunch of traumas that like in my lizard brain learned to be like don't jump off that stay away well, you from know the that, the, that the whole tr- like when well if you think about my thing is like i look back and i'm just amazed at the trauma of how much i fucking embarrassed myself you know that you know like it, that's the thing that just kills me if i like lately i've been doing that just sort of like how the hell did i deal with all that shit trying to be what i wanted to be taking all those chances and making a complete fucking fool out of myself Oof. you know it just it it hurts my heart to think about what i put myself through and oh. i i i don't well how do you how do you reckon with the trauma that you went through oh no i mean i never went to i never went to therapy for trauma I literally do not feel in myself traumatized in any way. Like, I don't feel like anything bad's 
really happened to me. Like I'm a pretty optimistic person in a weird way. And like, so what did you, what was the self-awareness you were lacking? I went to therapy because I was shitty at my life because obviously some stuff was controlling me that was out of my periphery. Like yeah. it was out of my view and I yeah. wasn't aware. And I never believed that because I felt totally in control and I felt like, no, 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 I see what's going on. I understand myself. I see other, I always had a much, and it's true, I did have a much more detailed and nuanced view of situations than my peers. Like other kids would just be behaving in these weird ways. And I'm like, no, you're being mean to this kid now because you're an athlete and he seems nerdy. But last year you guys were best friends and you're right. now denying that because it looks makes you look cool in front of your friends. And can we not just all talk about that? And it, of course, you want to talk about fart in the room and not having any friends behave like that through your you know, teenage yeah. years. Right. Um, you know, because I always just be like, let's just talk about what's really going on socially. And then people don't really, that's not what anybody wants to do. They don't want the honesty. No. So what, no. when did you... Like, how did you arrive, like, with all these fits and starts around, you know, band and music? I mean, it seems like there's a big difference between playing guitar in a alt-rock band and, and you know, building what you built with uh, LCD. I mean, what was the shift? What, it seems like maybe DJing was what blew your brain open. Well, there's, I think there's two. One is like, you know, I played music. I learned how to do everything myself as a kid. Right. You know, so I had like a certain base of knowledge when I, and then I moved to New York. But I had failed. I had made this record when I was 17. It was a disaster. Um, the one with the guy, the pyramid guy? Yeah, pyramid, pyramid of Sound, Tom Zepp, Pyramid of Sound. So I failed miserably with that. And it, it hurt, but didn't hurt too much. And who were your bands at this time? Where were you listening to? Oh, uh, Cure, Smiths, uh, Sisters of Mercy, all the 4AD stuff, yeah. um, The Fall, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, um, Chameleons. So you had a tone. There was a tone happening. Yeah, like so all grumpy, grumpy. <laughs> I, had the, I had the sound of, of, of lonely suburbia. Yeah, but I so I don't know I that was what I was making, and it was it was a flop, and so I moved to New York, and everything changed, and it became like indie rock happened, and I decided I didn't want to be the guitar player singer of a band anymore, and I became a drummer, and I felt like that was more workmanly. I was going to be like there was di some dignity, <laughs> it was like the dignity of labor. Like I thought being a drummer was like being a plumber. Like I was yeah. just going to be like I'm going to go out and just work. I'm yeah. you write songs, I'm just going to drum. <laughs> just don't worry about me, man. Like I got this. And so I was a drummer for 10 years, but of course turned turned into a recording engineer, built studios, tried to control the band from the drums. Uh made everybody miserable. 10 years? Yeah, well, from 90 92 to 97 I was a drummer in some bands for like 5 years. What bands? Um, and, uh, I was in a band called Pony and a band called Speed King. Those were drumming? Um, that was a drum? You weren't singing or anything? You were just drumming? I sang a little bit, but mostly I was the drummer. And so what? when did that, when did that, <laughs> when did that break your spirit? Well, I was in a band. I got in a band because I met, I met a, I made a friend at college who was uh, very smart and she was a good writer and we were in writing school together and uh, she wanted to learn bass and I was teaching her bass and I became a drummer and then we became boyfriend and girlfriend and then I did the brilliant thing of like, hey, let's be in a band together. It's the yeah. worst fucking idea you could possibly have. Sure. And so- Especially if you're a control freak. Oh, we had this- and she, she was aggressive and I was passive aggressive and, you know, and, and so, you know, 
I was the kind of guy who would just like quietly try to change everything without you seeing. And she was the kind of person that like always picked a fight at a restaurant. So it was like, it was a disaster. <laughs> like you couldn't go to a restaurant without like some problem that needed to get talked about with this waiter. And, and, and you were the guy sitting there after she stormed off yelling? I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm like a guy who freezes and hopes no one can see him when something happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like six, six, you know, six foot one, two hundred and ten pounds of terror, yeah, of terrified. Yeah, she was like five foot nothing, a hundred nothing of pure anger. Yeah, and it was just like, yeah, it didn't work. And Sounded um, exciting. So I was stuck in this band because we were room, we lived together and we were in a band and we we hated each other, but we were in a relationship. And you were studying writing. Yeah, that's what I went to college for for fiction, fiction writing. Where at? I was a, at NYU. Oh wow. So, I mean, that's what I was going to be. I was done with music. I was going to be a writer. So, okay. So what happens after the... Well, I mean, that's the... when I meet, that's when I meet Lipsight. Like, that's when I meet Sam. It's like those, those early, like 1990, 1991. Were it readings and whatnot? Through rock and roll, through Dung Beetle, his band Dung Beetle. Oh yeah. The Dung like, Beetle time. T- to me, still, Dung Beetle still one of my favorite bands of all time. Really? Oh yeah. What, they have as much influence on me as anything. Yeah, hold on one sec. Maybe this guy will pass. I never know. Is when someone these... driving by? No, I just never know when these fucking gardeners are going to come. And yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm uh... in the middle of a conversation. Oh, you're then... in Los Angeles. Yes, it's the uh, the leaf a blower. Different animal. The leaf blower event. I thought that was like some. That was a big drum drum drop. I thought no, that... <laughs> ev- every day, dude. It's like you'd be surprised how. I I mean, I'm very sensitive. Like there isn't. There's very few minutes in any day where you don't hear a fucking leaf blower here. Yeah. It's the land of leaf blowers. It's, but it's like, I know that's the joke and like everyone knows that, but if you focus on it, you could lose your mind. Like you, you get to a point where I do where I'm like, can't we just make it only legal on one day? You know? And, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, a really, that's the most New Yorker moved to LA concept. <laughs> Like still mad, but about stuff that like you're starting to lose what's ridiculous and what's not. Like by being there long enough, you'll just be like eventually like I formed a group. Yeah. We're gonna stop <laughs> stop the leaf blowers. Well, it's just like <laughs> garbage day in New York. I mean, it's like what the fuck. Well, it's always garbage day. Exactly, same thing, man. That's what I'm saying. Where are you right now? I'm in Brooklyn. This is my studio in Brooklyn. And you've been there forever. No, I mean I'm a man. I was a Manhattan guy for a long time, but I've been in Brook. I've been in Brooklyn now for a long time. So Dung Beetle, you love that Dung band. Beetle. What was great love about that. Dung Beetle? I met Sam at a late night party where we were doing drugs and hanging out. Yeah, um, and talking about books and having this really incredibly intelligent conversation. Like I was like, Sam was a very sensitive person. He was very smart. It was the real deal, like talking to him. It was a real talking to the real deal. And I was like, I found this friend. I feel, you know, I feel really connected to this guy. This is awesome. And he's like, my band's playing tomorrow night. You come. So I went and saw them. It's a spiral. Yeah. Down the basement of the spiral on Houston Street. I walked in and he's they're doing their dung beetle thing where they're like confrontational and like he's acting like a crazy person. The whole band and I'm sitting there with my arms folded, like smiling. I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. Go Sam, man. These fucking dummies, they don't know what's hit him, right? Yeah. And I'm smiling and he looked at me and I kind of smiled at him like, hey man, it's me, yeah. you know? And he just like got this enraged face like <laughs> uh, like like uh, like you smiled at a chimp or something. Yeah. And just started pushing people out of the way, grabbed me by the face while singing 
and pushed me out the door till I landed on my back outside the club on the floor of the basement. And it was love at first sight, man. I was like, I was like, I was so, I was like, thank you for not accepting my bid for connection. Like, thank you for making sure that I know fucking that I'm on the other side of this wall. I'm not inside the fourth wall here. This is like, there was a commitment and I used to call them the, in indie rock days in the nineties, everyone was like super like faux, faux, humble and like hey, sorry man i got a tune sorry like this yeah. is all this like apologizing nonsense like yeah anti-rock star faux you know fake humility yeah and and everyone was very comfortable in that they all felt really comfortable they all felt like they were they were all underdogs except they were all the coolest people right in that room so you're underdog to what like some fantasy oppressor uh of hair metal bands or something yeah and um who, by the way, were all much more underdog than these indie rock kids, you know? Yeah, right. Class-wise upbringing and all other things. But, like, I just consider them like to be, like, the drunk uncle in the living room of that indie rock scene. Like, they were just a bummer. Like, everyone's, like, having a good time drinking. And then one uncle's like, oh, you go to college? You're a college boy now? And you're like, okay, just, you're going to, it's ruining it for everybody. Like, and I... I loved that it was because ru- it was always ruined for me. I was always uncomfortable. Yeah. And I always felt uncomfortable around groups of people who felt comfortable. Yeah. And going to see Dung Beetle made me feel that sense of like, no, nobody's comfortable here. I'm equal. I'm, I've got my feet on the ground and I loved it. I loved yeah. everything about that band. Yeah. It was a total commitment. I went and saw Sam. They did a show at Knitting Factory. I used to run sound for them. And it was a sparsely attended show where both of Sam's parents showed up who had been separated. And I don't know if he engineered them both being there at the same time, but they're in the middle of this dirge where like, it's like this, like, like if, if you could exponentialize the late, late, mid, late stooges, it was like the stooges to the stooges power of just like bad ideas, bad vibes, this dirge. (laughs) Sam's lying on his back on the floor of the the, not the stage but the floor between his parents with his microphone in his mouth (laughs) reaching out with his hands to his dad his mom's got his her coat folded over her arms his dad's got his hands in his pockets they're on opposite sides of the stage he's lying down between them reaching out with his arms like rolling around the floor the mic his hands going mom dad why like <laughs> while the band was like dun, dun. and i'm like and and to whom like there's 14 people there at the old oh. knitting factory and i was just like this is the greatest performance art like this is like it was like between like yeah it was between the stooges and andy kaufman in a yeah. way that was just so beautiful and magical <laughs> And yeah. I felt like I was witnessing greatness. And I still, to this day, not everything great gets its time. Sure. Like, this is something that was greater than other things that were happening at the time. And it just didn't get its time. It didn't get its day in the sun, you know? That's so wild, man. You know, because I, I met Sam much later. You know, I met Sam, you know, when he, it was, he had already published uh, that first novel. You know, we became friends. But he's, like, become one of my closest friends over time. But... Wow, that I have no I have no sense of that Sam. So it's really nice to hear. 
but that Sam, what's cool is like that the Sam that's like the writer and the thoughtful friend and like the raw, like great sense of humor and like yeah. quiet. Like you could you could be at a party with Sam and if if someone's a type A blabbermouth, they'll never clock how smart and interesting Sam is because well, yeah. he can just he can just exist under that margin. Like being in that little margin is what I find really fun. We, the two of us would just sit there and murmur at each other. Yeah, but but his yeah. fearlessness as a performer was unparalleled it was just the the greatest thing it was that's such so an funny that's so great yeah because yeah. like he, he he gets a little nervous now when he has to you know i think he, i think he got nervous then yeah I, I, you know it's not a lack of nerves it's i guess fearlessness is a bad thing it's like you know oh yeah strength just to throw, overcome the fear just throwing yourself into it like yeah. you know you you put yourself in the position it's like you know f- you know fight or flight yeah 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 okay so sorry you asked me a million years ago I, i'm a tangential person no, it was, um, a, it was just sort of the the, the transition. You're kind of discuss, yeah. discussing what was going on and what you know led you to you know what became LCD. Well, I'm I, after all that, and I kind of got went to therapy a lot to try and change my life, and I broke up with my girlfriend, and I kind of stopped being in that band, and like just and I started I, I built a new studio uh, because I had been storing gear for this guy, and he wanted to. I had to give it back because I lost my studio. I got kicked out. And then he said he had a place where he was like, I want to design a studio. And I was like, well, I can help you design it. We'll make a studio. So I had a nice studio. Um, and, he and you was, had he learned was, that you just taught yourself how to do all this stuff? I learned from, I learned, I taught myself and I learned a lot from Bob Weston and Steve Albini, who were like really generous with like design stuff. Albini's uh, great. Yeah. Super. I mean, he gave me a ton of information when I first built a studio in 92. Um, without knowing me, just like set faxed me drawings of wall construct structures. Yeah. And stuff. But I met a guy, Tim Goldsworthy, who was, uh, was in this, this project uncle and Mo Wax records in the UK. And he was coming with this guy, David Holmes to make a record in my studio, not through my connections. I did not have. Cool so connect. this was like, you were, you were going to be a writer, but you were also this engineer guy. Yeah. Okay. And and I know at this point I had stopped being a writer, you know, I write on my own, but like, Throughout the band, I went to college for writing, and my fourth year, I dropped out because I was in this stupid band with my girlfriend. Yeah, and then what that happened became to her? my life again. Uh, she had a knit. She wound up having a knitting store. She's a very. She was big in the knit world, knit community, and <laughs> I don't is, know what happened to her. Did, I really don't. Did, did the anger go away? Or did she take it out on the knitting? <laughs> I mean, I don't. Th- I mean, she was cool as shit, and like yeah. her anger was like part of her her right, passion, sure, and part sure. of her also part of her like strength. Like I, I think you know. If you're a tiny person, like you better be ready to swing. And yeah. so, like, I, I had this luxury of being like just a big person. If I was, if I raised my voice, everyone took it more seriously. You yeah. Know? But uh, I don't know. I, last time I saw her, she was still mad. But um, it's been okay. many, many years. Been many, many years since we've spoken. All right. So you gave up writing. You dropped out of college. You're engineering. I'm, I'm engineering. I'm on tour as a touring soundman. I'm in this shitty bands drumming. And then at the end of that, in the late '90s, I get my life together. I build a new studio and in comes this guy, Tim Goldsworthy with uh, David Holmes. And he's cool. And he's the coolest person I've ever met. He's like in magazines is cool. His label's cool. He has like cool trainers. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't, I, I'm baffled by it, but we start working together on this record and then we stick together. And that's what that, that's the crux of DFA was Tim and I making produ- producing together and making music together. Right. Um, but it wasn't the label yet. Uh, uh, but that was it. That turned around. That gave me confidence because I was like, here I am working with this guy who's like 
pretty cool and we yeah we, we can talk about music and i'm not beneath him it's just this weird it, i always felt like beneath everybody and sort of outside yeah. and it gave me the confidence and then my parents died in 2001 and that kind of turned everything that in a weird way that unleashed me at the same time uh, within five months of each other oh wow it was uh it was a, it was 2000 it was like my mom died my dad died and then 9 11 and after oh. that i was like you know what fucking i'm i'm gonna die yeah. And I'm going to die scared and having not done anything. So that's that's the beginning of, D, of LCD, really. And and the idea of LCD was just, you know, what was the personal manifesto of it? Just to do shit that you wanted to listen to? I mean, like... Yeah. I mean, just to do shit that I wanted to listen to. We were having parties. I had done... Uh, also, I had done ecstasy. And yeah. for a tightly controlled person who the kind of drugs I did were, like, really inward... Um, you know, I never got blackout. I would like, I tried to control, 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 control. Right. Ecstasy was this really external thing. Yeah. And the first instance of that changed me forever. Like it really changed my life. It feels like, you know, when I listen to it, like the type of when you are making dance music, it feels like ecstasy dance music. Well, I, I did ecstasy and I suddenly realized I learned a lot about myself. Yeah. I was like, oh, I like having fun. I like people. I like dancing. What what stops me from doing all of those things is all image maintenance. It's all like, right. oh, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look lame. I don't want someone to, you know. And once I was freed of that, I was like, oh, I'm somebody else. Now I'm going to come down off this. It's Also, it wasn't the drug. The drug just got rid of some uh, stops. And what it exposed was something that I felt was very genuine, rather than the drug made me a certain way. No, right. It it it, uh, it it sort of peeled away uh, defenses and opened your heart a bit. Yeah, and and it opened it up in a way that was like, oh, this is totally me. And when I came off the drug, I I did it a lot because I loved it, but I didn't need it. Right. Like once I did it once, I was like, oh, I don't need this drug. This is well, totally just. It gave me the. It, it's like sort of like when you have an experience when you're afraid. You're so afraid of the dark. You're so afraid of the dark. You're so afraid of the dark. Then you go in the dark and nothing happens. You're like, oh, the dark's not that bad. Like, I was so afraid of embarrassing myself that I went and did this drug and it wasn't embarrassing. And I was like, huh, maybe I don't need to be afraid of myself. That's what I was telling you earlier. The embarrassing trauma is like so fucking weighty, man. The, the, I still think about shit I did as a teenager and I'm like, oh, I get like waves of But you don't, horror. Cons- you don't consider that trauma? <laughs> yeah, it's trauma, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's not a brain injury, but still, you know, if it happens... <laughs> If it happens enough, you know, but, yeah. uh, but no, but that's interesting because it seems like, you know, once you, you kind of land in the groove of the band that, you know, you've got this, you know, kind of, um, almost sarcastic disposition around exactly those fears, you know, yeah. that you were able to characterize, you know, the ridiculousness of these fears that were holding you hostage, uh, through the, some of these songs, well, I mean, also, like, I, yeah, and I, because I love, like, when I became friends with Nancy from the band, like, one of the things we became friends about was, like, we love human weakness. Like, I don't, like, I, I've, I have a sense of honor with myself, but other than that, I don't expect myself to be, like, great. Like, the sh- shittiness of human beings is, like, something I don't judge particularly. Yeah, well, it's so like, constant. Why you exhaust yourself? Well, no, but there's types of shittiness. There's yeah, like no, I know. Self, there's like gnarly, gnarly, hurtful shittiness. And then there's like we. One of the things we first connected on was like, if you sleep with someone simply because it's just too awkward and weird to leave, 
Like if you just yeah. wind up like having like like you sleep with somebody literally because you're just like I don't want to go home. This is yeah. just weird. Yeah. It's just going to be awkward if I get up and go. And like that's a weak thing to do, but I kind of I really empathize with that type of weakness. Yeah. Like that to me is the type of weakness that I'm just like, yeah, you're fucking human. It's yeah. like like the way it's the reason people laugh at comedians who are parents who are just like my kids they're terrible you're yeah, like yeah right. that's a terrible thing but i totally can empathize with that human weakness that you have yeah and uh like so I, i've got no i've got no beef with with uh with humans being a, a bummer and so right. like i can i can make music about that stuff and be pretty harsh about it but it's me and i'm not like i don't feel like it's like i love people who are terrible and who yeah. are broken i don't like i'm not like some apollonian ideal of like what human beings should be and you know i don't have yeah, that who is yeah yeah no well that's all the best part of it i also well, don't I mean, want to know those fucking people like do we want who what what do you have in common with somebody who's like perfect like that i, I don't know anybody and you, and it's usually a lie yeah so it's right. like yeah anytime you see it you're like oh there's something bad in there you, <laughs> yeah, never... so you eat fucking people yeah like if you're perfect, you definitely eat people. It's One way or come the out other. Somehow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're you're feeding somehow in not a good way. Yeah. But yeah, because well that well that's I think that's the funny part of some of the songs is that there's a sensitivity of it, you know, that you're not you're not just mocking it like a bully. You obviously are no. living it somehow. Yeah. So it's a you know it's okay. <laughs> so, but after this whole arc, I mean, in getting like, how do you respond to people who are sort of like, well, because I talked to Sharpling yesterday and I told him I was going to interview him and we yeah. were talking and he loves you. He loves the band. He's a good dude. He's a great guy. Um, yeah, these are, these are my two good friends are Sharpling and Sam really and Jerry Stahl. <laughs> I, they're all, you know, we, we're, we're sensitive a lot, but you know, we I were talking it. about like how, because I, I said, like, my one of my, my first reactions was, like, it all seems relatively familiar, a lot of what you're drawing from, you oh, know? yeah. And and yeah. Sam, like, Sam said, well, he's aware of the pastiche. <laughs> so then, yeah. like, I had to look up pastiche. And then I used it as if I knew the word with Tom. And then he, yeah. and he said, yeah, he's definitely aware of pastiche. And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> how do you answer for that? Do you, do you, do you care? I, I never did. Um, I never, never did. I remember used to get in these arguments with people. Yeah. That there's like, I remember reading The Anxiety of Influence by Harold Bloom, like when I was in college. And having these arguments with all these indie rock bands who were just saying like, oh, I don't listen to, you know, I'm like, well, you, you sound like Slint. Yeah. And they'd be like, no, no, I just listen. I'm like, okay, so you listen to Billie Holiday and music concrete and Zanakis, and then you just sound like slint <laughs> and that's an accident you just landed miraculously at two guitars bass drums mumbled vocals and seven four time that just that just happened lightning <laughs> struck twice and like I, and i was like why are you pretending you're doing this for yourself out of like Athenian grown, fully grown from your own head with no influence from somebody else for your lone self. Like if you don't admit that you're making music partially to communicate with other people, you're doomed to a, a like a grotesque lie of aping. And like so long ago, I accepted that like what I'm doing when I'm making music, I make music for myself all the time, yeah. every day. Yeah. I write songs every day. 
every day. I play I play instruments every day. I don't record them. They're for me. They're for me. They're for my child. They're for my wife. They're for my friend. They're for whatever's happening in that room. They're for my own sanity. I'll sit down and just play guitar for my own sanity. Yeah. That is purely music for me. Right. I'll sing. I'll sing to machines. Machines hum. I sing to them always. That is music for me. It helps me with my mental state. It's just part of my like. It's like fucking breathing. Yeah, I I sing but, to the to the leaf blower sometimes. Yeah, you have to. You have no yeah. choice. Yeah. Um, but like when I'm making music, I'm making it for other people, and it's a communication device. And this. Yeah language has words in it and sentence structure and phrasing in it. And when you sit down and write a pop song, you're already working in this trope. Like, and and you can use whatever weird synthesizers that no one's ever used before, um, but somebody built those things. Right. And you can, like, you, you know, so for me, I'm working in a tradition no differently than a jazz musician or no differently than, like, uh, like a, a a rapper or like a a a, a, a tribal drummer or a, a Bulgarian non vibrato singer. I'm part of a tradition. That tradition is this the canon of what I love in music. Yeah, and I don't shy away. Sometimes it's almost like if you're directing a film. Sometimes as a director, you'll take a shot from a Hitchcock movie in a way and recreate it with your characters as a way of juxtaposing, of bringing that memory, memorialized language back into what you're doing. And so sometimes I'll find that a song I'm working on reminds me of a song that I listen to. I'm halfway through the song and I'm like, oh shit, this sounds like whatever. And rather than run away from it, sometimes I'll be like, well, I'm going to dive into that and see where that takes me. And that's and there are songs that I've done that with that have been great successes, and there are songs I've done that with that have been failures, and that's just part of the game. And I don't feel that I don't feel that falsely trying to peel away my influences so that no one can see them is an honest gesture. That is a fully manipulative gesture. I feel like I'd rather always try to find something new. And sometimes I became not as obsessed with something new. Um, and, and there are times when I am obsessed with something new. But what's, you know. what's, what's like it, what's interesting though is like the 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 familiarity is usually uh, it's sometimes it's it's a, a melody but not quite but a lot of times it's just a sound of or a production guitar- technique. Right. I'm obsessed with it. I'll become obsessed with like a drum sound of a certain record and I'll be like I need to figure out how they did that and that process of figuring out how they did that will lead me down towards making the well, song. Well, that's the interesting thing is that it's all the the signature thing that you guys have that despite whatever influences is, is there it seems to be a rhythmic thing. Yeah. And that's been there and that's part of me. I, mean, I was just playing the, some of the music I found from the 80s for Raina uh uh Raina Russum who was in LCD and yeah. does her own music um under a bunch of different names is amazing 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 artist. And made my favorite song in the last couple of years called Freaks Only. And, and she was saying like, oh, I can hear, like, that's all those rhythms are here. Like, it's yeah. all here in 1984. Like, the, yeah. all that, all the way that you do your thing is here. And I'm like, it's just like, that's the stuff I can't shake. That's like speaking English or something. Yeah, that's, it, it's, it, but that's like, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting. Cause I, like, I listen to all the records you know, some, you know, uh, for, you know, I've, I've listened to them before, but sort of in a row and like, you know, I felt whatever my 
prejudgment was before kind of melt away because of the movement of, of, of each song and each piece and, and, and sort of the way they kind of, there's a fluidity to all of it and it all has to do with the rhythm, which is, you know, uniquely yours. And I was, you know, it's, it's all very fun to listen to. I also don't care if it's uniquely mine even. Like, I mean, I, I read once there was, there was a guy who was like, I hate this band because it just reminds me of the Talking Heads too much. It just sounds like he's just doing it. And I, and I remember feeling like, I was like, okay. Like, like if what you're shopping for is either originality or the simulacrum thereof, like I'm not the store to go to. Yeah, but, you know what, what, I mean? but, but what does that even look like? It, you know, it looks like, you know, that... that it, Early Aphex Twin was pretty genuinely original. Well, like, what, Trout Mask Replica, right? You want to live in that? No, I love Trout Mask. I mean, and I, but also, like, that still was from a, a lot of traditions. They were just traditions people didn't know. And we live in a world now where it's a lot hot, harder to hide that stuff. Right. I mean, I saw a great, I did, a, I did this weird talk many, many moons ago, and also speaking on that day, but not talking with me, because, come on, it was Brian Eno. And he was saying how he was like he said something remarkable. He's like it was it's hard to to explain, but it was very easy to be new at that time. He was talking about like the early like ambient stuff. He was like he had gone and seen like Cluster and all the German bands and the Krautrock bands. And Clearly, he yeah. also like he had also like he was like no one had thought to just go like I'm gonna put these things together and everyone's minds exploded. And it was like at that time there was still a lot of ground uh, like unclaimed. And and like the the time we live in now, there's far less unclaimed ground, which I think is normal, you know. But yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, there there and there's also a lot more accessibility to everything that's always happened. And I get that, like you know, Captain Beefheart was you know the entire engine was lifted out of Howling Wolf. I mean, I I understand all that, but it's just. But he's weird. also a very singular guy, and yeah, know, yeah. Like, but like in the Talking Heads thing, like that guy's very derivative. There's this soul record where it's a whole rip. Like it does none of that really matters to me. But I think like when people talk about the Heads or they talk about or the comparison is really because I've been listening to Heads outside. You know, before I, I knew I was going to interview you, I've been kind of yeah. stuck in uh, the live Heads specifically. That stopped making sense thing. And oh, like, yeah? well, yeah, because like I don't like you know that is. If there's any heads that you're really, you know, sort of influenced by that I can hear in the music on a regular basis, it's the momentum of that band live that really well, is. There's footage of them in Rome around the Remain in Light tour that I don't know if you've seen with yeah with uh, Adrian Blue playing guitar and it's pretty whirl on keyboards. It's as good a band as as ever taken a stage that, right. that era. Yeah, and David Burns underrated rhythm guitar player. Great rhythm guitar player. Great rhythm guitar player. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, it's what he's really good at. He's really pretty yeah. good lead player too. But, but like his rhythm is like that's it's it's where it's at. It's always been where it's at. Yeah, it's so cool. It's Have you ever worked a, with the, worked with him? Yeah. No, I've met him a bunch of times. Uh, like I would say, I would say we're friendly. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh and it's and I and I feel very comfortable separating the guy that I've been like, oh, hey, let's have hi yeah. with this other guy because otherwise I wouldn't be able to have the meal. But you do collaborate sometimes, like uh, it seems like a struggle for you, even just from talking to you, but it seems like you try to. I mean, what was that Bowie thing like? That must have been crazy. That was brutal. Um, I mean, I made a, what happened was I made a mix for Bowie. I made a remix Um of a song from the uh, the first Secret album, the next day. Yeah, it went really great. 
and everybody really was really happy and apparently he was quite happy and um i he also came and recorded on the arcade fire record that i was uh helping make um and he and we met then and you know became friendly and exchanged emails and um i remember just being on a trip once and i uh and writing him an email and being like hey i i i'm away right now but uh one of these days, let's. It'd be great to get together, and I would love to make some music with you. Like, I'm, you know, this is a big thing for me. I don't. It's like I'm like the guy the, asking for someone on a date for the first time, like working up the courage. And he writes back, like, you know, funny you should say that. Please come see me when you're back, and we'll we'll talk. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing backflips. I'm losing my mind. I'm like, I'm gonna make a record with David Bowie. And my idea is like, I'm gonna make a record with me and him. That's it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be like, we don't need anybody else. Like, yeah. I can make a record alone. You can make a record alone. Like, we're done. It's just you and me. Just come to my studio. Let's make a record. Let's just make a couple songs. If nobody hears it, doesn't matter. Yeah. But he's already underway of making demos and working on stuff. Um, and he played me music. And I was like, I, do you feel like you can add something? I'm like, I definitely feel like I can add something. So the time comes. You know, I've signed all the NDAs. Which album is it? Black Star. Oh, it's the last one. Yeah. Yeah. So I go to work um, on Blackstar, and I come in, and I meet the band, the, all the players in the band. Love them. It's an like, insane we, band, dude. Yeah, and they're so nice. Like, all of them are so, like, odd to be there and sweet and talented, and we're joking, and it's, like, a really great rapport. And, you know, they're really, like, onto me. I'm like, what, is this okay? We, is what we're doing right? Like, they're, they're pretty, you know, David would be pretty, like, great take you know and they're like am i i just made this up like is this yeah. okay like and when i walk in i see david sitting in the chair and he's like oh, hello you know and the rest of the band are in their room like playing i'm like okay there's david he's the, it's the songwriter it's david david he's the artist and i'm like there's the band they're all playing their instruments there's the drummer it's on the drums covered bass player playing bass check keyboard players playing keyboards it's a saxophone player playing saxophone it's like all those positions are totally filled i look over at the console there's Tony Visconti. Tony Visconti is sitting at the console. That position is covered. Great. And he's got an engineer and a computer op. Those positions are covered. Okay. Uh, it's like walking into a cockpit and all the chairs are full. And you're like, um, I guess I'll go sit in the <laughs> yeah. back. Like, So I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. And I was like struggling to find my way in to this already moving machine. And... Uh, um, and Tony, who I got along with great, like, th- it wasn't like there was like, hey, what do you want to do? It was like, he's like, I'm just working, you know? And these are like heroes years, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. I'm like, oh, well, excuse me while I insert myself in the Bowie Visconti, yeah. you know, it's like, hey guys, you know, I don't know, maybe, have you considered what this fucking idiot thinks? Yeah, yeah. The triangle um, of maybe, sound, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you've heard my songs. <laughs> no, doesn't, you have, and it doesn't matter. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'll just go back out into the coffee room. But so uh, it's it started dawning on me that maybe what my job was, I was like, what is my job? Eno. Maybe I'm expected to be the disturber of the process. Uh-huh. Because the remix I did was so disturbing. It was like, it was a completely like, take this thing and turn it upside down and reverse it and put it out this way. But that's not what I do with people. Like I, I've, I've only met you know, like, like tangentially. I don't know him at all. 
but he definitely seems to have a kind of confidence that they were not handing out when I was born in 1970. Yeah. Like, he's just like, you know, walk into a room and be like, I've got a great idea. Here it is. Let's all do my idea. I'm like, I'm going to wait till everybody leaves. I'm going to try it to make sure it's okay. And then I'll work on it alone. And then if it's okay, I'll maybe I'll let them hear it. And if somebody says like, I don't want to do that, I'll be like, okay, fine. And then I'll be really angry and resentful. And then I'll go make my own record in spite. Like that's, I'm not like, so I did some small things and I, you know, played some percussion and like ran their synthesizer through some stuff. And I had like, I was having a good time. But I eventually said to him, I was like, look, man, I, I think I need to take these things and bring them to my studio and work on them myself. That's the only, that's the instrument I play. Yeah. Um, and it just wasn't a good fit and it broke my heart. Like I had, I had to leave. Uh, like I kind of, I kind of talked myself out of a job. Because uh, you know, you're, too, was, you're too hard on yourself. No, just because I don't have that gene, man. Like, you know, it'd, it'd be the equivalent if somebody was really good at sampling Right. And they were like sampling all these great drum beats and you brought them in. You're like, amazing drums. Here's the drum set. Can you yeah. play? Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what I do at all. Like I, yeah. I can't play drums. I can make beats that you hear and you think there's drums there, but I can't do the thing you think happens to make it happen. Like I can turn things inside out and turn them upside down, but I can't do them in at war with people. Right. right, at, right you know, right. in a room. Like, right. I just can't do it that way. So it's a control thing. No, it's it's more uh I don't like bumming people out. I really am sensitive to bumming people out. And I'm also incapable of compromise on some level that I can't control. Right. Like I, I just shut down. I need to do it my way. Right. And I and I, I simultaneously need to do it my way and I can't say what I need. Mm. So ergo alone. Did you know he was sick? Yes. Oh really? Yeah. But we didn't talk a lot about it. But yeah, you know, it, uh, that was you know part of what I wasn't allowed to talk about. Oh, you so know, sad. It's like his, it's his. I mean, it it is so sad. We all go. He, I mean, I don't know a lot of artists. He went too young, but I don't know a lot of artists who get to make a kind of perfect swan song record and die and like be with their family you know i mean oh yeah yeah it's just so it's it's interesting like because i was trying to think about that like this generation because you're a little younger than me but like you said it doesn't matter once you're in your 50s that like i i don't know that i've paid a lot of attention to the last decade or so of bowie records but yeah you know when they die you're like oh it's just it was just nice knowing they were here you know, like, yeah. it, it, but like, I, it's not like I've been paying that much of attention. But you know, usually, what happens is when these heroes die, you, you're you're like, oh my god, I can't believe he died. But what you're really saying is like, I'm dying, I'm dying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that whole generation. It's like we're all. It's like when that started. I was like, oh, they're just rationally dropping like flies. Yeah. You know, people who lived hard are hitting an age. Yeah. And you know, things things happen. Yeah, you know, man. Yeah, it, it's just like they were always there for us. So, and then yeah. the weird thing is, is like they really still are. I mean, you know, yeah. you can, I can go. I listen to shit all the time. I mean, what do you listen to when you listen to stuff? Well, that's the thing. My poor son is just like, is he alive? He's learned to ask that. Oh, I like yeah. this. Is he alive? No, he's not. Uh, yeah, but that we um, all did that. I mean, you got. I mean, like, uh, like because I grew up in that sort of crashing wave of the sixties, and like everyone was dead. Like, I remember yeah. looking at Janis Joplin's Pearl and my mother, like, telling me that she died of a heroin overdose and I just couldn't put it together. But then you'd flip yeah. it over and see that band and you're like, oh, there's the heroin. These guys yeah. are heroin. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm. I what do I listen to now? Uh, you mix it up. A lot of weird music. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it, I listen to a lot of things with my son. He really likes. Uh, he really likes the guitar player John McGeek, who played in like Susan the Banshees and. Uh, oh yeah. Pil- Public Image Limited and Magazine. Right now, he's he's been on a magazine kick. He's six, so. I've done wow. my job. Uh, no, he's, he's, it's free. He plays drums, so we play music together. And That's great. He plays, he plays keyboards and drums. Um, I mean, yeah, I've been listening to a Jan Hammer group song and, wow. a, and a magazine song with him because he, he heard them and was like, I want them on my playlist. Wow. He has a, he has a playlist. Yeah. Uh, oh, a good. Spotify playlist. Oh, nice. And what, are, you, are you guys rehearsing? When do you go out? No, no, no. We're not rehearsing. We, we don't. We're not an. We're just never an active band. Oh, so um, what? I'm, what's going to happen now? Are you going to play some dates? Is that the deal? We'll figure something out when the time is right. Right now, I mean, right now we're on full hiatus. Like we go, we just because of the nature of the band. Uh huh. When we're not touring, we're just like back to normal life, like completely. And if I'm making a record, that's my problem. Right. Um. But right now, like Pat. The drummer's band, Museum of Love, has a record out like this today uh-huh. or this week. So he's going to be playing with his band where he's the singer. Um, you know, Raina's got her whole label. Like everyone does other stuff. You know, Al's in London, Tyler's in Berlin. Uh, you know, everyone has their own things going on. So for us to put it together and get together is like... Um, we just kind of decide to do it. Is that going to be, is it, but is that, are you planning on that or no? Not yet. I mean, always in theory, you know, planning yeah. on something, but like, I, I don't want to go out without new music and I'm just getting, I just, this studio was being built before, when the pandemic hit. And so I was almost done with it. And then suddenly it all had to stop for a year. And I had to like, kind of like on FaceTime, finish wiring up my console with the people who were halfway through it. And did you get work done during pandemic? None. Yeah. No work. Yeah. All I did was finish this place. Um, fish. I fished a lot. Really? I Yeah, I had a baby at the very beginning of the pandemic. So, like, my life has been... I also... We have a restaurant. My wife and I are partners in a restaurant that's, that's uh, in my neighborhood. And uh, when the pandemic hit, we were just kind of all hands on deck trying to, like, save jobs and like figure that out were you able to try yep we we didn't go under and we we survived and took care of people the best we could um you kind of were of, part of you were at the ground floor of establishing brooklyn as cool brooklyn weren't you no when i moved to brooklyn i felt that was a little late to the party i moved to brooklyn in 2005 oh 2005. Wow. yeah so people were already like pat the, the drummer in LCD was was living in Brooklyn when I met him in '96. But didn't you guys do almost a residency there? Weren't you like a like a- yo yeah, Brooklyn Steel? We yeah. played Brooklyn Steel. We played like 24 gigs or something crazy. Yeah. Um. When we when uh, we came back out on tour, but that's just I, I'm I've tried to figure I'm trying to figure out how to be a band. Right. Uh, I don't like playing big shows as often very much. Um, I like them once in a while, but like. I more prefer small shows and not small shows, but like Brooklyn Steel's a big venue. Like they're big. That's a big venue for when I would go see a show as a kid. Yeah. But shows have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. There's but more and more played, people go to see But you've played shows. huge shows. Yeah. I like it as a festival because I, because I can, when we play it as a festival, yeah, I can look at the audience and be like, they're not here to see us. Let's go get them. 
Oh, I, like so, I feel like underdoggy. Like I can feel right. like they're all here to see whatever else is on. this So you bill. feel pressure? Not that I just don't understand. It doesn't doesn't compute that they're there like, to see you. Yeah, it just feels not that. This feels like sounds like false modesty. Let me. I, I don't mean it like that. Let me explain. If I go, I don't. I never went as part of a big audience to see a band. I don't understand that. The biggest shows I ever saw, like that I ever went to go see, were like two thousand people. Like that was sort of like capping out at my like. I'd go see a band that was like two thousand people. Like this is a great show. Yeah. But I went and saw like the Jackson's Victory Tour and the Rolling Stones uh, Steel Wheels Tour. Those yeah. are the only two big shows I've ever gone to see. And they weren't for me. I, somebody had a ticket. I went and I was like, I felt like it was at a football game. Yeah. And it didn't It didn't compute to me. Right. So when I go play a festival, I understand that there are people that want to go see these bigger things. And this is my chance to like make a fool of myself. It's like being on TV. Like if you're a guest on a, if you're a guest on a talk show, you don't walk out on the talk show and be like, all these people came to the audience, studio audience to see me? And right. millions of people are going to tune in to see me? No, they're there to see Conan O'Brien or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. And you're just there to do your dumb thing and there's no pressure on you. Like you're, And if you do whatever weird thing that's you and some and one kid is like, I like this guy, you're like, oh, I've communicated. I understand that communication. Yeah. But if you go do the thing and everybody's, you're the thing, that... I don't know what it's like to be the audience of that. So I find that confusing. Not negative, not bad. I just don't understand that. Yeah, I, I, I find now that I'm performing for my audience, even if it's 1,500, 800 people, there's still part of me that's sort of like, what are you doing here? Yes. <laughs> Where, it's if you, it, wait, but if it's a, if it's a night yeah. with like six comedians, yeah. some of which are are like really big you're like oh they're they i'm gonna i'm gonna go bum them out for 40 minutes exactly they're and a here couple to see people the are gonna guy. be like yeah and a couple of people are gonna be like that's my guy yeah and i'm here for those six people exactly yeah and that that just computes easier well yeah it's, it, yeah it's not there's it's not the pressure and you don't have to wonder how you manifested this room full of weirdos what is it about you that but it's you know, to, but to me it's not even the pressure it's just who am i talking to I know how to talk to people who don't want me there. That makes all the sense in the world. Like, yeah. Like when we played, we played Coachella between them crooked vultures, which is like John Paul Jones from fucking Led Zeppelin and Jay Z. And we played between them at the main stage of Coachella back in 2000 fucking whatever. And I remember being like, this is perfect. Like people don't give a fuck about us. Like yeah. why? People are just stuck on the field because they don't want to lose their spot for Jay Z. Yeah, and like now we can just go after him. Like we can be the Sam, we can be Dung Beetle now. Yeah, and like um, I met these kids. I met these guys who later on, like they they were working with me, and I couldn't understand why they were like you know talking. I was like, what? How did you find me? Yeah. They're like, well, we went to go see Jay Z, and we wanted to get on the stage inside the, the stage. And we were on the side of the stage. We went on when you were there because we thought we could hold our spots when Jay-Z came out. Yeah. And we didn't had no interest in you. And by the end of the show, we really loved it. We thought you were a jam band <laughs> when you start when you came out because it was like they were like, How can this many like like how can this there's like a band with like eight white people and they're playing this this many people and I've never heard of them has to be a jam band. Like yeah. that's there's no other thing it can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when we were, when we weren't, they were like, "What the fuck is this?" And the, I was shit faced and like climbing up and down the monitors and and they were just like, 
they they were puzzled as to what this thing was and that to me i totally understand how to do that yeah and i also know how to understand how to play for like the size venue that i used to go see shows in because i'm like oh you came to see me the same way i went and got went and saw echo and the bunny man i get it yeah i, I get this i'm gonna try and give you the best show i can in, under those circumstances right but if twenty thousand people come to see me i don't understand that yeah it does, it does I, I'm not pressurized. I just don't know what to say. Right. Yeah, like the, some of you have been misled somehow. Yes, like. yes. <laughs> Clearly there's a misunderstanding. <laughs> and I don't mean like that I don't deserve to people have people sure. like me, but like there, there's a lot of you who are misunderstanding exactly what I'm about. Sure. It's just, I'm not for this many people. Yeah, around. I get it. Yeah, I'm definitely that guy too. Yeah. <laughs> it's great talking to you, man. Likewise, uh, likewise, and I'll say uh, I'll, I'll tell Sam and Tom that I had a great time. Yeah, say hi to those guys. That's great. That's uh, a good uh, a good duo you've got. Yeah, I will, man. They're good guys, and uh, it was great meeting you, man. Enjoy the leaf blowing. That was James Murphy. I go listen to LCD Sound System if you don't know his stuff. Go to wtfpod.com slash tour to see my dates and ticket availability in uh, Denver, Salt Lake City, Phoenix. I think it's sold out the one night I'm there. St. Louis. I think Bloomington will be added soon. Yeah, we're doing it. We're taking it out there. We're hammering it out. All right. Okay, let's ease into some Guitar. Telly straight into a vibraverb with the built-in reverb and vibrato. Monkey, La Fonda, Cat Angels everywhere. <laughs>